0: We open the scriptures together this morning to God's Word in 2 Kings, chapter 5. Our sermon or text will be taken from verses 2 and 3 of the chapter, and the sermon is entitled, The Unsung Faith of a Little Maid. It's part of a series of sermons I've been preaching on the unknown what I call heroes of faith—not those from Hebrews chapter 11, but those who we barely remember—and here we're not only not going—we're not going to even be given an, a name. And she's a little maid, and yet she is truly, by God's grace, a hero of faith. Uh, we're reading in 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5 is telling us of the ministry of the prophet Elisha. The children we remember that the garment of Elijah, the mantle of Elijah fell upon Elisha to be the prophet. You will remember that Elijah was the prophet of judgment and Elisha is the prophet of miracles. He's the prophet of compassion upon Israel. And so we've been reading or in 2 Kings the opening chapters of all the miracles of Elisha in which he showed mercy to the people of Israel, God's mercy. And now in this chapter, we see God's sovereignty of grafting in this man called Naaman, who was a leper. Second Kings chapter 5, now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel, a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his lord, saying, Thus and thus saith the maid that is of the land of Israel. Now the king of Syria said, Go, too, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel saying now when this letter is come unto thee behold I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter he rent his clothes and said am I God to kill and to make alive that this man does send me unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot, and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth. And he went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me, and stand, and call on the name of... ...of the Lord his God, and strike his hand over the place, and recover the leper? Are not Arbana and Paphar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing... Wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith unto thee, Wash and be clean. Then went he down, and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again, like unto the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. We read to that point. Asking God to bless his word to our hearts. Let's read again the text for the morning. Verses 2 and 3. Now we want to read this text in light of verse 1. The Holy Spirit is uh, underlining God's sovereignty in all things. Because by him, that is by Naaman, verse 1, the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. Then verse 2, our text And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. This morning I'm calling our attention to what I call an unsung hero of faith and unknown and perhaps even unnoticed, just this little maid out of Israel. And when we look at what I call the unsung heroes of faith, those who we hardly remember in the scriptures, then we are taught two things about true faith from her. And from all of those in the scriptures, we hardly notice and yet stood by faith. And the two things that we want to learn from the unsung heroes of faith are that a true faith does not wait for a big moment. It does not wait for the gun to be pointed at your head, whether you will confess Christ or not. True faith does not say, well, when I get to be 25, for sure I'll be serious about my faith, or when I get married. But true faith lives every moment of life to be faithful to Christ. It walks moment by moment in humble dependence upon God. Even when you are utterly alone and abandoned, and hurt and abused. True faith walks moment by moment with God. The second thing she, this, her faith this morning directs us to is that true faith does not draw attention to itself. True faith does not draw attention to its acts and its deeds. But true faith points to God and to his work and to his deeds the question at the end of day for faith is not did they see what i did or what i did they hear what i said but true faith asks the question at the end of the day did my actions and my work works point to god to his word and to his power so i call your attention to this little maid this little slave girl who lived under the darkest of providences in her life and yet her faith as a little girl shone brightly and whose witness God used to move kings upon their throne and to bring glory to him who he used the weakest, the weakest of all possible means God used For the greatest of all of his purposes, the gathering in of one of his own, of the cleansing of a soul, God sovereignly directed and controlled her life to accomplish his purpose. I call your attention to the unsung faith of a little maid. We read in verse 2 about a little maid So I should back up. The unsung faith of a little maid. I'm going to talk first of all about her witness, that's point one, then number two, we're going to see the rippling, what I call the rippling effects of her simple witness, what God accomplished by it, and then finally, number three, I'm going to bring three simple lessons. To us, So the unsung faith of a little maid, her witness, the rippling effects, and the lessons for us. We read, as I was saying from verse 2, of a little maid of the land of Israel carried away captive and who waited on Naaman's wife. This little maid, the estimation of her Age is somewhere between 6 or 7 and maybe as high as 9, 10, 11 or 12, somewhere in there. She is not a toddler because she is able to function. She is able to do works of service. She is not, most likely, not a young woman entering into her womanhood Becoming a young woman, she is before that. She is a little maid, from the age of five to perhaps ten. Kindergarten to third or fourth grade. Tragedy, by the hand of God, had come into her life. She had not come to Naaman's house willingly, by her choice. Evidently, as is plain, I believe, from the scriptures, she had been raised as a little girl in the twelve in the ten tribes of Israel, and she had been raised under God's covenant faithfulness. She must her parents must have been part of the seven thousand who had not bowed their knee to Baal. She gives every evidence of having come from a believing home and that she had lived in some unknown and small, unnoticed village. She had grown up then in her earliest days under the ministry of Elijah and probably had been told of the fire that Elijah called from heaven down upon the worshippers of Baal. But she had lived also in the ministry of Elisha, whose ministry as I mentioned, abounded with miracles and compassion for God's people. Elisha had just raised the son the son of the Shunammite woman who had died from a heat stroke. And he had done other acts of mercy for the people of Israel. And so she had been raised under that ministry as a little girl somewhere in Israel, but she had been cruelly and wickedly had her whole life altered, she had been taken as a captive out of Israel to become a serve, a slave or a maiden to Naaman's wife. A band, we read, or a company under the direction of Naaman, captain of the host, had been sent out to raid in the villages of Israel. And under those orders, She had been taken captive. We're not told how. Could it have been that she was away from her home perhaps picking berries or playing in the fields and Syrian soldiers rode by and simply grabbed her and took her away so that she didn't come home? And her parents waited and perhaps went to look and others went to look. And they did not know what had come of her. Or could it have been even worse, if possible, that the Assyrian soldiers in their raid just came right into the village and she had witnessed perhaps a torch being thrown through the door of her house, or perhaps her father and brother slain before her eyes, or perhaps. Something cruel done to her mother. Had she witnessed these things? We don't know. We simply know that in God's providence, a great evil had come upon her. She had been torn from everything she knew and placed right into the middle of a heathen world. Without any contact whatsoever with her family. And perhaps bearing a heavy load of terror and grief. God had not ordained at that point, as he did with Lot, angels to deliver her from this. She had been given by Naaman to be a maid to her mistress, his wife. She did not speak the language. She is now in a great house. She is to serve a woman of high standing. What could she do? We are told that regardless of her age, she believed in God. The first words from her lips are these Would God, would to God, would to Adonai, the sovereign Lord. She believed. In the sovereignty of God. She may not have been able to explain it. And it may not have been revealed to her. As it is to us in all of the scriptures. But in her heart. True faith. True faith. Believes the sovereignty of almighty God. If God would will. Naaman could be healed. She's confessing the sovereignty of God she believed that nothing could take us and her from the hand of God. That was her faith. How did she know that? Had her father told her about Joseph, and he is being sold by his brothers and being a slave in Egypt? and being in a prison? Had her mother read to her the book of Job, explaining to her little ears God's sovereignty over a man's life? Had the family memorized Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. We don't know. We know that God kept her. We know that God put in her heart that she believed God as her God. And that in her own little way, she believed that God was controlling her life. And now follow. Her faith did not first erupt before Naaman's wife and those who were present with a testimony. But before that testimony, her faith showed itself. Listen now, children, young people, before she spoke, her faith had shown itself in submission to God. She was in that house as we read the text honoring those whom God had placed over her. And she was doing her task as a little girl with diligence as unto the Lord. Verse 3, And she said to her mistress over her, Would God, my Lord, Naaman. Naaman rules over me, the man who orchestrated what happened to me and I'm serving his wife, she understood spiritually the fifth commandment to honor those, all those whom God places over us, not by her choice. But by God's choice, because she was God's daughter. She expressed a submission, a reliance, an inward reliance to God. She did not believe that her circumstances came by chance. But she testified that they came in her conduct, in her conduct, in how she responded. In how she responded, she testified that all things come to her of her heavenly father. Did she think of Joseph who also conducted himself in a prison unjust and cruel and evil who nevertheless conducted himself as a faithful servant in a prison. She submitted to the commands of her mistress. Imagine Naaman's wife How could she in her flesh look at her with anything other than disdain? But her faith said, God put me here, and I must serve him in my response and in my actions. And it was noted. Of course, it was noted. The members of Naaman's house could not figure that out. Why doesn't she scratch and bite like a cat? She performed her tasks with respect. And she performed her tasks in submission to God. And that brought the power of her witness now, the scripture wants us to use a sanctified imagination at this point. The scripture wants us to picture this scene. This scene that takes place in Naaman's house. Naaman not being present, we take it. This picture that takes place as she's performing the task of a little maid in that house with Ma- Naaman's uh, wife, her mistress present, and we gather from verse 4, others are present in the house as well. We read, And one went and told his lord. So what she said was heard by others who are present in that room. And so we picture it that, of course, Naaman's wife, we picture it under the scene there in in that house, that the topic of concern, great concern to them, was Naaman, their hero, who was a leper. And his wife had this on her heart. And perhaps others have come to talk to her about this despair and this hopelessness and leprosy and that dreaded and awful disease. And perhaps they are all bemoaning his state and they are weeping because their idols, in which they have trusted, have come up empty. And their religion has come up empty. The religion that they made as all religions and all hopes other than the hope in our God come up empty. They were confronted by sin and death in a naked way. They were confronted with the fact that they and the whole world before them was rotting away and they had no hope. And now God at that moment has placed in their midst a little maid going about her tasks, listening. He has not placed in their midst. He could have. He could have placed in their midst Elisha or Elijah. But weakest means fulfill his will. It's just a little maid possessing true faith in Jesus Christ, in God. And from overhearing their conversation and witnessing their anguish and hopelessness, she responds as if she's talking to herself, but she speaks. Would God, my Lord, that's Naaman, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Her faith was spontaneous. It was out of her mouth, perhaps before she had time to think, for she had been told that her place was to be seen, but not heard. It was spontaneous because she had been thinking about what so consumed them, And that by God's grace, she knew. She knew a hope that would never make her ashamed. Her testimony at this point was not premeditated. She had not been worrying about all the words that she needed to use. But it was simply out of the abundance of her own heart that she spoke of her faith. Her witness was not only spontaneous, but it was... Factual, I mean it testified to a reality. It testified to truth. She spoke plain truth. There is a prophet of Jehovah in Israel. He would recover him. She did not hymn and haw. She did not say, well, I think I remember back in those days that I was in Israel that there was this man who performed many miracles, and you might now, in your distress, like to consider an alternative to your God. She did not say, well, yes, you believe these, these different myths and so on, and now I would like to just add another thought here that you could might consider, no nothing like that. This is factual. This is truth. I do not, she was saying to them, I do not believe in myths. I do not believe in stories. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in his promised Son, Jesus Christ. She was saying to them, and it was very courageous, but behind her words is, God, my God is God. My God Creates and holds all things. My God controls leprosy. My God's word through a prophet is true. She spoke confidently. He would recover him. Literally, he would gather him in of his leprosy. He would gather him in from his leprosy. She was saying to him, leprosy is not too much. For my God. Or from the word of my God through the prophet. She was saying to them and to us this morning. The defilement and bondage of your sin. The addiction in which you are held. The corruption of our sinful nature. The corruption of our sins. This is not too much for the God of Israel to gather in. He can gather in Naaman. He can bring him to himself. She was confessing the sovereignty of her God. And then finally, so it was spontaneous, it was factual, courageous, confident. Her confession, and don't miss this, was sincere. It was spoken in concern. In kindness. Would God, if God so wills, this man Naaman, this awful man Naaman, could be gathered in according to his will. She already was obedient to Jesus' words pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your heavenly Father. May it please God. She meant this. She was concerned. May it please God to work in them what he has given me to know. That there is salvation In God. There is a word from God through his prophet in Israel which would gather him in. Is this the witness of your faith and mine? Is it the witness of your faith when the hand of God? we think has gone out against us? Is it the witness that comes from what you have experienced of his goodness? Is it a faith that simply believes that my God is God and good and his word is true? Do you conduct, do we conduct ourselves before others, especially when we are under the weight of adversity? Do they see that, nevertheless, there is a control in our life? That we do all things as unto God. And when others are testifying, perhaps on the work, in the work, or the neighbor, or whoever, of the, really, of the hopelessness and the despair And the emptiness of their life. Do we say, but my God heals lepers? He healed me. How did God, where did this come from? Well, it came from being raised the same way. You have been raised. I'm not saying it only comes from that. God raises up his children in true faith, in power, wherever. But where did this come from? From a special class? No. She was brought up in a believing home. She was taught the covenant promises of the word of God. And out of that, a spiritual life in Christ and a power of faith was implanted in her. And she lived that faith and witnessed of it. And God was pleased to use it in a way that she could not imagine. And perhaps never saw. I call it the rippling effects. The rippling effects that were created by God through the weakest of means. As we read the passage after this, it's like a chain effect. Somebody there in that house, in fact all of them, heard that. And they go immediately to perhaps Naaman or They go immediately to the king. And the king receives their words. And he acts upon their words. So that again. We have to have our imagination. And if we're in that room. It goes something like this. They're all bemoaning and talking. And suddenly. From the corner. Comes the words of this little girl. Would God. My Lord. Were with the prophet that is in Samaria. For he could gather him in from his leprosy and suddenly the conversation ceases. Everybody's quiet. What did you say? What did you just say? And not only do they want to hear it, but they act upon it. They are convicted that it is credible. They will act upon that word. Are all of them believers? No. Yet in the consciences of men... The truth of God's word cannot be denied in their consciousness. God's word has been spoken. And God's word produces an effect. They hear and they acknowledge it as credible. One goes to the king. The king writes a letter and sends a letter off to the king of Israel. Heal him. You know this is possible. There's a prophet in Israel. We've been told that. So heal him. Again, do all of them savingly believe? No. We're not told that. But God's word, when it is spoken, even from the simplest of mouths, will accomplish his purpose. And so God does. It's very interesting to note that even unbelief here forced to acknowledge the credibility of what she said. But while that's true, there is one person in the passage that's not convinced, doesn't believe her witness. And that one purpose, that one person, is the apostate king of Israel. He doesn't respond and say, oh, well, it must be so. He's born in Israel, but he's apostate from God. And this passage is telling us the horrors of apostasy. And that apostasy is yet a deeper heartening even. He says, all he's trying to do is pick a fight with me. So that Elisha must tell him, send Naaman to me he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So what is the point? The point of the rippling effect to us is, first of all, our witness must be made in the power of the word of God. Note with me, she said, the prophet that is in Samaria, and then, The Holy Spirit draws attention to it in verse 8. Elisha said, he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Prophet. A prophet. So we're being directed to this point of a prophet. And a prophet is one through whom God spoke his word. So that she is testifying to the power of the word of God. And she's testifying of the power of the word of God to accomplish the purposes of God. To which he sends it. We must remember. That the word of God. Is not a word. Among many other words. That is not the purpose. Of the word of God. Or the purpose of the church. That we have a slant. On truth. That we have something. That's worth considering. But we have. The word of God. Jeremiah 23, verse 29, is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh in pieces the rock. The witness was to the power of the word of God, which is able to accomplish all that God purposes it to accomplish the witness was secondly to the ministry of the word of God. There is a prophet in Israel and prophet is an office and it's an office in the church. is an office of ministry of the word of God. It's a re- reference to servants of God put in these offices of pastor, elder, and deacon is a testimony that the ministry of the church which faithfully brings the word of God comes the word of hope and salvation. It's saying that the ministry of pastors, elders, and deacons in the church stands the word that God gives them in these sinful, weak men is able to stand before the impossibilities that we face in life is able to stand before leprosy, a consuming thing. It's able to gather in. Through these offices, Christ brings the word which restores the soul. And finally, her witness was to the gospel, was a witness to the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Naaman was a chosen vessel of God, and God irresistibly calls him and directs his word to him. The God who sovereignly had given him his victory over Israel is the God who sovereignly brought him to hear of the cleansing blood that is in Jesus Christ she witnessed to the power of God's word operating through his church the power of an irresistible grace and a totally gracious atonement in the blood of Christ what now this morning are the lessons for us Three simple lessons. Number one, God says to you and to me this morning, rest in the sovereignty of God. Rest in the sovereignty of God in your trials. It says that especially to parents. And it says it especially to little children children and to growing children and to young adults and teenagers rest in the sovereignty of your God. What became of this little girl when Naaman returned from being healed did he release her? Did he send her home? We're not told. Was there a day outside that village in Israel that her parents saw a detachment of Syrian soldiers ride up and their little girls slide off the back of a horse and come running to them into their arms? Did that happen? We don't know. God doesn't say. Or if her parents were dead... Was she restored to her people? Or did she live her life out as a slave in Syria and perhaps face even more and even heavier trials and loneliness? We don't know. We're going to ask her when we see her. Because all of God's children... Come home. She did go home to her Savior. We don't know the path that God led her from that moment, but we know that each one is led in a perfect way by our Heavenly Father. The sovereignty of God is not an intellectual concept. It is the living truth of our salvation. Rest in it. Do not, let us not become embittered when our way, everything is torn up around us. But let us hope to the end for the salvation of God. For he is of great pity and great wisdom. Number two, let us learn the importance of our witness. Don't be silent when the world despairs around you. Don't argue. Don't lash out. And let us not open our mouths to witness if our life is a life that shows disrespect to the circumstances that God has placed us in or to those whom God has placed us under if we are a rebel to God we should keep our mouth shut but don't be ashamed don't be ashamed don't become bitter don't despair but speak speak of the things that are entirely of grace that you know and you are confident of these things speak of speak out of sincerity speak out of kindness not to argue but to tell them that God lives and he lives within you and remember it is not you that speak It is the Holy Spirit and you don't know what God will do with your simple words. And then third, so rest in the sovereignty of God. Know the importance of your witness. And number three, learn that God is directing your life today for his purpose and his purpose has more to do Than just with you. How God touches your life is bigger than just me and just you. God is touching our life so that a witness is left of Him for others. Many in our society, the most that they are ever going to know about the Bible is not what they read, because they don't read it, but it's what they will see in your life and in mine. And God will direct his grace to his children without fail when he directs our life in submission to him your life matters your faith matters you don't know what God will accomplish be assured that even through dark days God desires a witness to be left of something far better of him and that God will use our lives for what seems good to him. Amen. We thank thee for thy word. Thy word is truth. We see, O Lord, that of ourselves we can do nothing. We pray that thou would continue that work of faith in our hearts, and that we may, O Lord, give glory to thee. We pray that our life and our witness may testify of thee and of thy saving grace through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.